HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Happy Monday afternoon to everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host and producer is Sophie Schlesinger. Hi, everyone. And our engineer and uh, producer extraordinaire in the in the studio is Jack Inslee. Thanks, Jack, for all you do. Um, so we're really excited to be back after a couple weeks break. Um, and today's show is going to be all about goats. Yes which is um, one of my favorite subjects in the whole world. Um, <laughs> it's that time of year. It's that time of year. It, it's absolutely true. And I have to admit, I have a little bit of a bias uh, towards uh, goats when it comes to cheese and when it comes to just animals in general. Goats are so affectionate and funny and have so cute. crazy personalities. <laughs> and this is, the, this is the craziest time of year for all uh, goat dairy farmers. Ooh, that was a good one, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little goat noise in there. Um, because it is kidding season. Uh, kidding season is, is a little bit chaotic. It's when all the uh, the female dairy goats have their babies and start to produce milk. And uh, so we're very lucky to have two guests on the show with us today. Uh, we have uh, Louisa uh, Conrad and Lucas Farrell from Big Picture Farm in Vermont. And then later on in the show, we hope to talk with uh, Hannah and Greg from uh, Blue Ledge Farm in Salisbury, Vermont. Um, but so uh, to start off, I think we have Louisa on the line. And you have Louisa, no Lucas. No Lucas. Is Lucas out tending to animals and doing farm things? You know, we actually, things? we've been waiting and waiting for our kids, and about 20 minutes ago, we had our first one. Oh! Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know yet whether it's a girl or a boy, but um, it's exciting. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I must have known we were going to be talking about yeah. them, you know, if they had to get down to business. Exactly. They're like, well, this is probably the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. they around just watching us forever. So, I wonder if this is the first time on the radio that there's been an announcement of a, of a, of a goat, goat birth. birth. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, this is, um, the, it was born to our little doling, Cy Twombly, and she was the first doling born on the farm last year to Gertrude Stein. Wow. So if it's a girl, it's going to be an Eva, Eva Hess, but um, if it's a boy, I don't know what it'll be called. Yeah. So you name your goats after artists. Well, we have like different lines of goats. So, <laughs> you know, Cy comes from the artist line, but then we have... You know, a Manhattan, which is just named after places we've, going to be like places we've lived, or we have like bodies of water, or our friends, we have like a friend goat line. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's really great. And so the the lines, um, can you explain to our listeners why you'd want to name your goats, um, yeah, with some sort of a theme in mind? Uh, For the lines of goats? Yeah. Well, it's, for us, we thought it'd be nice as we look at the heritage of where animals come from, you know, so starting from the beginning, because we're a very new farm. Um, this is actually only our third kidding season, the first one happening actually at Blue Ledge um, two years, three years ago. And um, so we wanted to be able to follow, you know, who's connected to who, and, uh, you know, dairy farmers have totally different ways of doing it. Um, you know, I know Hannah and Greg have an entire line of, like, all the Winter Olympics and things like that. Um <laughs> And so, you know, we just started, like, our buck is Saga, because um, we were, we spent a long time in Iceland, so we sort of wanted to inject a little bit of that into them, and um, we have an Orion for sort of a sky god line, so just sort of what was appealed to us. That's so cool. Yeah. And what were you, now, I'm totally digressing, but what were you doing in Iceland? Was it anything goat-related, or were you just uh, exploring? It was nothing goat-related. I was actually following fish um, around the world for a little bit, as um, I had a couple grants to do art projects where I was um, looking at fisheries and doing some video work and drawings. Um, I was really interested in salmon and cod, so um, there were a couple different artist residencies that we were doing over there. That's wow. working a lot with local Amazing. fishermen and stuff like that. Wow. And can you talk a little bit more about, I know uh, both of you are kind of involved in the art world in some way or, you know, have like double uh, double careers. Can you talk about how you intertwine those and, and how they're related? Um, well, right now, I would say it's harder than ever to intertwine them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, not, not harder than ever to intertwine them. They're completely um, intertwined. There is no art outside of our farm life right now. Um, but our farm life is taking a heavy, heavy hand after um, having spent a lot of time on our art and teaching for sort of the last 10 years. We've refocused on our business, and um, we hope, like, we're, we would like to have pretty soon, we're working out with some programmers, to have, um, like, all of our caramels that we sell be coated with a video from the farm of that day so you can really see what was happening on that day when the caramels were made and the goats were milked. Um, and so we see that as a larger art project in and of itself. Um, and, you know, just the goats themselves are such little expressions of life that it's hard not to feel like they're their own art things. And you share that in common with uh, Hannah and Greg because they're both painters, which is really interesting. Um, is it true? Did you intern for Hannah and Greg at Blue Ledge Farm for yeah, a little while? Yeah, so we both interned for Hannah and Greg. And actually, I... Um, I got up the ball to in, to ask them if they would let us be their interns because I had taught their um, child art. I was teaching after school art, and I got to teach Livia. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think it was an under the sea. We were making fishes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that would really attract me about Blue Ledge, and you know, they're such an inspiration because they've managed to 
you know, divide their time between farming and making so many different amazing cheeses and painting and having a family. So, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty wild. It's an inspiration. I have to say as a former art student myself and now business owner, it's never easy to intertwine all those things. Um, you still, do you still maintain an art practice as well? Oh, not very much. I actually, I'm just going to start to set up my little studio and try to do some paintings this spring, but we'll see. It's been, it's been a little while. I think I'll be a little rusty. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that'll be exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so let's get back to the goats because we, we promised everybody we were going to talk lots about goats today. (laughs) Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you and Lucas chose goats and, uh, why you chose to make, uh, caramels instead of, uh, cheese, which seems to be sort of the dominant, uh, goat product in Vermont? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess I was first off in love with goat cheese. I ate a ton of cheese as a child. I wouldn't drink milk, so my parents just fed me goat cheese. And so I have always been um, totally obsessed with cheese and um, farming, and that led me to Blue Ledge. And it wasn't until I got to Blue Ledge that I really did learn the mystical, magical powers of goats and fell head over heels. We both just fell completely in love with goats there. Um, And they have some great goats. And so... We left Blue Ledge knowing we wanted to start our own farm, and we're trying to figure out, you know, how is this going to be possible? Everyone told us, you know, we were leaving careers as artists and writers where we had, you know, little to no chance of making money to (laughs) entering farming where we could probably lose a lot of money. (laughs) And um, so we were just, you know, trying to brainstorm, and there's a, it was sort of daunting to be in Vermont, and there's so many talented cheesemakers and startup costs you know, to get a cheese room or so high that we just thought we'd experiment with new stuff. And um, I spent a summer sort of just making caramel in the kitchen and started experimenting at farmer's markets and, you know, sort of went off from there. Wow. And so, well, it's funny, I guess it's a, it's a whole different tie-in, but there's definitely a Scandinavian connection to the goat caramel thing. Yeah. You know, yay toast is like the national... Toast huh. is toast spread of of Norway. Have you had that before? I have. That's like the che- the the sweet cheese. Yeah, the the ski yeah. queen that comes in like a weird. It's like a it's like a a very kind of brown little block of uh, caramelized mm-hmm. goat whey. Huh. Interesting. So maybe there's some I- Scandinavian tie-in that we didn't even realize. <laughs> Yeah, it's a saga. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a saga to be written. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so can you tell us a little bit about um, the seasons on your farm and uh, and when you guys are milking and making caramels and uh, and how the seasonality of the goats plays into your, your business and your lives? Yeah, well, you know, so we milk um, 10 months of the year and then two, the goats get about two months. I think this year they got more like two and a half months off. And... Um, you know, waiting for kids to happen the last five days we've been waiting. And sort of like every morning, I mean, we're getting up all night to check on them, but then there's part of me that's like, I just need to sleep late because I'll never sleep late again until next year. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a very dramatic switch once milking and kidding and bottle feeding. And, um, you know, we rotate um, every day with, we use uh, solar electric fences. So just moving fences around once they're in milk is a huge chore. And, um, we have a wooded parcel, so which the goats love. They're sort of more, you know, they're browsers. They're sort of more like deer than sheep. Um, but trying to move 
these wire, you know, these tangly fences through tangly trees is um, it's hard to not scream at the top of your lungs sometimes. Um, <laughs> and so that's sort of the summer and then fall, you know, our, you know, we're so new as a business, but the, um, you know, caramels are a very popular Christmas item. So our, you know, December was just sort of just trying to survive <laughs> the business and the goats are sort of getting ready to be like, and we're going to be just chilling for a while. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good time to hibernate after the craziness of the holiday season, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so we source milk from a grade A dairy locally for the two months that we're not milking. Oh, that's great. So you're supporting other yeah. neighboring farms as well. Exactly. And it's fun. They're, you know, they're bigger dairies. They can... I was, like, rushing away on Wednesday when I was picking up milk to go check on my kids. And he's like, you don't need to rush. You'll be fine. They're going to take their time. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to have some veteran voices. Yeah, exactly. Voices are reason. Um, Mm -hmm. So what kind of goats do you you guys have, and why did you settle on that specific breed? I'd love to talk a little bit about different breeds. Yeah, so we have um, two... So we started our herd um, at the very beginning with two Sonnens and one Alpine, and our Alpine Gertrude is actually from Twig Farm, um, and um, she, so she's sort of the grandma of the herd. She's a little older, and the Sonnens, you know, the Sonnens produce a lot of milk, and it's some some herds like you know that we also have two Nubians, and the Nubians are great because they have a little bit more butter fat per. They might not give quite as much milk, but if you're making cheese, you get a lot, a better yield on it. Um, and those beautiful, and long, floppy ears. It's really interesting how much the, you know, um, the fat content. It's actually, I do have to, like a cheesemaker, sort of change things depending on the seasonality and where they are in their cycles. Um, but it's been nice. So we have two Nubians, and um, we milk two Nubians, two Sonnens. And the rest are alpines, and then their babies will be a combination. We bred with a sonnen buck and an alpine buck. Cool. So you have a whole yeah. menagerie, the best, the best of everything. Exactly. And we actually didn't know, you know, we didn't, because we don't have huge facilities, we just kind of put in the bucks with everybody. And you, so, but one was black and one was white. So you kind of were like, okay, we'll know the babies based on what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So yeah. And can you take us through a little bit of the, actually, the caramel making process, um, mm-hmm. how, how you go about making your caramels, and how did you arrive at the flavors, and, and, and that kind of a thing? Yeah, so we make the caramel um, with a lot of milk and cream, um, goat milk, goat cream, and organic sugar, and you let it boil for two to three hours, and because most caramel recipes we'll use like a condensed milk because just, just the, you know, the water contents, you're getting a lot, some of the water out of the milk by just boiling it for that amount of time. And then it um, slowly begins to caramelize and, you know, turns that rich color. Um, and we cook it and we pour it onto trays and then um, we let the trays sort of cool down overnight and then the next day while the next several batches of caramel are being made we cut and wrap um all of the caramels so it's a lot of um wrapping (laughs) (laughs) for us too it's a lot of wrapping (laughs) at the at the cheese cave Mm -hmm. um that's really yeah i actually 
I perfected my wrapping skills by wrapping uh, camembert for Blue Ledge. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah, it's good to have like, yeah, an internship where you're forced to like, you know, really learn those skills. I, I interned for some goat cheese uh, makers in France. And uh, at first I was like, how do you wrap a pyramid in paper? That's like so ridiculous that you can do that. But now I'm an expert because they were not shy about telling me when I was doing it wrong. So, yeah. (laughs) So um, do you guys have plans to expand and do other kinds of delicious um, or, you know, um, goat care or goat skin care products or anything like that? Or do you think you're going to stick with the caramels for the time being? You know, we're really interested in the sort of farmstead confection items. Um, we've developed, like, we have a chai caramel right now that's really delicious. We just haven't made a label for it yet. But everyone who's tried it has really um, gone crazy for it. And we're working with um, sort of in more of a longer term, like a farmer doodle, which is going to have our goat milk caramel and um, chocolate and nuts. Yeah. Um, wow. Oh, my gosh. That's They're really good. We just are sort of, they kind of look a little bit too much like goat blobs right now. So we're um, <laughs> trying to get some art skills in there to make them look a little nicer. I think you could market it as that. Yeah. I think that yeah. would be really progressive. Yeah. <laughs> it would be very realistic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, that's, yeah, that's very cool. I like that. You guys are really feeling, filling a niche that, you know, nobody else is, is really doing. I mean, well, there's that one other goat cheese um sorry goat caramel producer fat toad farm in vermont yeah um but theirs is different it's more of like a liquid it's like a dulce de leche kind of thing yeah it's like a cayeta it's a sauce um and it's really delicious and um you know we've they they're also a really great farm so it's been they were sort of an inspiration too in us getting going Nice. Like, oh, caramel. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, well, we have a question that just came in um, mm-hmm. from a listener. Uh, and um, the person is asking if this is uh, prime time for making goat cheese. Um, and I know you're a goat caramel maker, but maybe yeah. can you talk a little bit about the quality of the milk right now, um, you know, in the spring versus um, at later times in the year? Well, yeah, well, so right now, I mean, it depends when your farm kids. So our farm is just beginning to kids, so we'll want to leave, we leave, we'll leave our kids on the moms for a while to make sure that they get the colostrum and some of the best, um, you know, sort of the quality antibodies from their moms. But um, I think spring cheese, you know, when the grass starts to turn green is really some of the best. I mean, when you've been in cheese rooms and it's sort of like there's buttercups outside, I think that's my favorite time of year to eat just chefs that you get just the instantly you know unadultered by any not even aging just pure taste you know in the winter i prefer to eat the aged cheeses and Mm. more of the bloomy rinds um but there's definitely that spring fresh cheese can't be beat i agree there's something about it yeah that it's like that fresh tangy lemony flavor it just is like Mm -hmm. a breath of fresh air after you've been you know locked up for a couple months and I think there totally. might be a, a part two to this question, um, which probably Anne can can answer as well. How does the milk change from now until uh, the does are on pasture? The writer wants to know. From now until when the go- girls go on pasture? Yeah. Is that what the or just was? throughout the or season. Yeah, I, guess throughout I guess what season. kind of a fluctuation do you guys experience if the spring, you know, milk is really wonderful and fresh and, you know, full of full of delicious fat? How how does the milk change for you over the year? 
Well, they start producing a lot less because their kids should be on pasture as well. Um, so less is a big, you know, they kind of pe- will peak in sort of June, July. Um, and, you know, uh, I would say Hannah and Greg are going to be better prepared to answer that question since we're sort of every new step. We're like, what happened now? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, actually, we are running out of time, but I was just wondering, do you have any uh, advice or words of wisdom for other aspiring uh, goat dairy people who are listening to this show? Um, I would say uh, go for it, and but you know, find an internship or a job or something that lets you get your hands really dirty into the um, realities of farm life as opposed to the romantic. <laughs> you just know what you're getting into i think that is very sound advice mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that it's worth it if you can handle it <laughs> absolutely absolutely well um do you have a, a website uh where um, people can find out more about big picture farm yep if you go to www.bigpicturefarm.com there's um and that'll link you to if you click on farm stories you can go to our blog which has pretty frequently updated photos and things like that Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking time out um, to be on the show with us, especially with your first new kid waiting in the barn. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Well, we'll get out out to that baby. And thank you for all the delicious uh, caramels. And uh, up next will be Greg and Hannah from Blue Ledge Farm. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. And we are back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Sophie Schlesinger is my co-host and producer extraordinaire. And today's show is all about goats. We just spoke with uh, Louisa Conrad of Big Picture Farm. And uh, now we have on the line her mentor, uh, Greg Bernhardt from Blue Ledge Farm in Salisbury, Vermont. Uh, Greg, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for, for chatting with us today. Yeah, of course. And my wife, Hannah Sessions, is also on the phone. Oh, hi, okay. Anne. Oh, hi, Hannah. That's great. Thank you guys so much for both being available. We were just talking about how this is a time of year where you're very lucky to get anybody on the phone yeah. anytime, period, just because of all the, <laughs> all the chaos on the farm. Yes, that is true. <laughs> So can you tell us a little bit about what's been going on on your farm these past uh, days and weeks with the uh, kidding season and how that kind of affects your business? Yeah, well, there's two aspects um, to our farm, the goats 
and the cheese. And my wife, Hannah, does primarily the goats, and I do the cheese. So both of our worlds become extremely busy this time of year. So I should probably start with Hannah telling you all about the goat world. Yep, I am the goat girl. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we choose to freshen our goats on the early side. So I generally uh, let the bucks into the barn um, at the end of August, which means... Uh, uh, usually September 1st, and that means February 1st babies. And it really happens like clockwork, February 1st, uh, five months later. Um, actually, we started this year, I think January 26th was our, was our first birth. Wow. And uh, I, I really like, uh, because we're a seasonal dairy, um, it, there's really a season for everything. And so February and March is really like our baby season. And a lot of the kidding is quick and intense. Um, and sometimes I'll freshen six, seven, eight goats in a day. Wow. And, uh, and I really like it that way because I can really be on my game and um, really be present and uh, really be uh, vigilant. And um, then all the kids are approximately the same age, and they, and they all grow better that way. Um, I'm sure everyone knows baby goats are called kids. And that way they all, if they're all the same size, um, you know, they can be grouped by age and they all just grow better that way. So we started kidding around February 1st and um, here it is March 12th and I'm pr- we're, we're milking 75 goats. And uh, wow. have a, I have uh, just a smattering to go. I think there's probably eight goats more to go. But these are generally goats that didn't take on their first heat. And so they'll be more spread out. I think my last one I'm expecting uh, depression in June, actually. Okay. And this all ends up um, creating a lot of milk for me. And the bulk tank just starts flowing with tons of milk. So I I become beholden to the milk, and my whole schedule is um, based around that. So I end up making tons of cheese from this point onward, (laughs) probably for the next, um, you know, the height of the milking of their lactation is is really probably in a couple weeks lasting for four or five months of just intense cheese work. There, there's cheese making all year, but the most cheese is made probably in the month of May. I'm usually never answering the phone and just working constantly. <laughs> just heard, locked in the heard, cheese room. Yeah. Rubbing the wheels, that type of stuff. What, one, other, um, one of the reasons we decide to breed how we do is that our goats seem to milk best with the longer daylight mm. and no matter when they freshen when they start milking once we pass the um the longest day of the year mm-hmm. their milk starts to decline so you get a little a couple extra good weeks then because yeah. uh you it, it freshen sort of early it doesn't decline too dramatically yeah, until august plan, right yeah, yeah. right well, and yeah. I was wondering, Hannah, if real quick you could talk a little bit about how this year has been a little unusual. I know we were talking the other day, um, and you said that you had a lot of single births this year, which yeah. is a little bit different than normal. Yeah, this has been really interesting. Generally, we always have twins and very often triplets. Hmm. This year, we had one set of triplets and lots of twins, of course, but lots of singles. And... I just have found it really interesting. I mean, the goats are, they're in really good physical condition. Um, the only thing I could think is that, and I haven't changed their feet or their minerals, the only thing I could think is that maybe we had a really difficult year making quality hay last summer because of the weather, the rain, and then we had Hurricane Irene. Um, and I just, 
don't know if the goats somehow know that the nutritional value just isn't there, and so they they just conceived a lower, uh, smaller number. That would be devastating were were we meat producers, but yeah. because you know we're it's it's great news for us um, to have fewer kids. Yeah, I, I don't even. Um, I only I raise twenty five of the girls, and the rest I sell. So I don't even um, need all of the girls that are born. And um, and what do you guys uh, do? Do you have a, a market for um, the kids that you're not going to keep, or um, do you take them to auction, or how do you deal with that side of the um, the season? We um, I always have a list of people before the kidding season begins, a list of go to people, and generally. Um, I do get some money for the girls, and generally, if um, if the boys are one day old, I give them for free, as long as someone but someone has to commit to taking several. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have I have one guy actually. He comes over from New York State, and he takes all of my boys, and he's got a great system set up where they get fed on the pipeline, and he does a great job, and he's really kind to the animals, and he raises them up for the Easter market. Another reason we freshen earlier is that they're really the perfect um, size for the Easter market. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a wonderful connection to have made. I feel like you guys are really lucky. A lot of people don't have that, that, you know, person out there who's going to come and... and I know, that's true. And I will not give out his name and number. (laughs) (laughs) Some things must be kept secret. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so, um, maybe can you tell us a little bit about, um, or Greg, can you tell us a little bit about all the different kinds of cheeses you make and do you have a preference for making one type of cheese at a, at a certain time of year versus another? Yeah, I, we make, uh, fresh cheese, semi-aged cheese and, and firmer cheeses. And we tend to make all of those cheeses, obviously when we have tons of milk, um, we primarily make all of our firmer cheeses between the months of April through August, and and, and we kind of stockpile that for the whole year. Um, we're, we're still making some of it at other points in the year, but the majority of it is made April through, did I say August? Yeah. And um, we're, we're always making the fresh and semi-aged cheese all year round because we can't stockpile fresh cheese, obviously, because it's fresh and it, it's sold very quickly, um, and we want to be able to keep customers um, all year round for that. Um, we have started making a new um, cow's milk blue cheese, actually. We buy cow's milk from our neighbor who also makes cheese. And um, we'll, we'll probably be making that during, um, during the springtime only, um, maybe going a little bit into the summer. Mm. But most of the reasons why we make these decisions is actually just based on milk flow mm-hmm. and work schedules. Um, and... I tend to um, have different, you know, demands also with making hay during the summer, and that, that affects what cheese I'm making when. So, so I'm, I'm kind of reacting to all the different things that I need to have done um, in my own schedule, and that affects my cheese schedule. Um, but primarily, the enormity of milk is affecting the fact that we make all of our cheeses during this time of year. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, uh, you know, I unfortunately, we got a little bit of a late start on today's show, and I would love to talk for another 30 minutes. But yeah. um, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to wrap it up for today. But I'm hoping that we can reschedule another follow up interview to hear how the you know, how the kids have done this year and uh, and talk about how the, the rest of the, the season went for you guys. Absolutely. Sounds great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And actually, before we go, can you tell our listeners um, about your website so they can uh, check out your, uh, learn more about your farm and your artwork and all the other great uh, things you guys are up to? Oh, thanks, Ann. Sure. We're at um, www.blueledgefarm.com. And there's a link there to our blueledgegallery.com. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you All so right. much for being on the show. And uh, well, we, we it's will. It's our pleasure. We're Anne's biggest fans, <laughs> and we love Saxaby Cheese Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much. We love you guys too, and we're so honored to sell your cheese. So we will, uh, we will definitely be in touch soon on another episode of Cutting the Curd. Until next Monday. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Anne Saxaby. Listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network.